Lucid has the backing of the largest investment fund in the world, the Middle East, this is the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. Mm -hmm. They tried to take out Tesla at $420 a share way back, I believe it was in 2018, 2019. I don't know if you remember the infamous uh, Elon Musk tweet where Elon's, you know, 420 getting taken out of 420. It was an, <laughs> an ode to, to marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, Anyways, that, that takeover didn't work out, so the Saudis pivot, pivoted and said, okay, if we're not gonna get Tesla, let's pick another horse in the EV race. The horse they picked was Lucid. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing, the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we will take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by the one, the only, Luke Lango. Luke, I know that the end of last week seemed to be a little bit of a leveling off, but how does the start of this week look? Aaron, I don't know what leveling off you're talking about. We've been in, in, in rally mode, rally mode, rally mode, and it's been a pretty consistent and pretty strong rally for the past three weeks. I see it continuing. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into all that in just a few moments. Uh, we were supposed to be together this week in studio in Baltimore, which is where you are right now. Uh, but lo and behold, I had to dip out to get footage for another project. And I'm currently in West Palm Beach while you are in the studio about to get started on another project. Uh, but the great thing about this podcast is that we're getting pretty good at doing this from wherever we are. So if you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure to like and subscribe to get hyper growth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind. That is the Luke Lango. Uh, Luke, I know we got a ton to cover, not a lot of time, so let's dive right in. Uh, we want to start off with uh, Lucid Stock. Uh, can you tell us a little okay. bit more about why you believe in Lucid Stock? And again, I know that the things that you always look for, you're looking at talent, you're looking at the technology, you're looking at the white papers. But so what are, mm -hmm. what are we seeing in Lucid right now that makes them uh, one of the bigger EV winners. Yeah, so um, core belief, Aaron, is that the company that produces the best technology will win in a technological megatrend. Uh, it sounds simple, but a lot of people um, don't subscribe to that belief. I very much do. I think the best technology always wins out. So my bullishness on Lucid pretty much derives solely from, not solely, but primarily from the fact that they have the best technology in the electric vehicle space and the fact that they will likely sustain this technology lead for the foreseeable future. So on the first point, the, the best tech, um, they've employed some really innovative engineering over the past several years to create really unique batteries, really unique powertrains that have enabled them to create a, a lucid air vehicle that has over 500 miles of driving range, verified driving range. And that is unprecedented in the electric vehicle market. Uh, normally we're looking at, even for top end Teslas, 400 miles. Um, for everything else, 200, 300 miles. So the fact that they're up and above 500 is absolutely remarkable. Uh, that speaks to the robustness of the underlying technology. 
Uh, there are a lot of patents around that, so it's proprietary, so it's defensible, uh, and that's very important. Um, they've also employed things like bi-directional charging with their batteries and in their cars, um, and they, they charge very quickly as well. So there's some really cool technical aspects to these, these Lucid cars, um, and that's why I like them today. Now, why I like them for the long term is, how do they build that technology? Well, we come back to the talent question. They are essentially a bunch of former Tesla folks former Apple folks merged together that have started test, or started Lucid. So you basically have two of the greatest consumer hardware technology companies on the planet Earth, Tesla and Apple. We're taking top people from both of those companies who helped start those companies, who helped make those companies uh, hardware technology successes, and now they are at Lucid. Um, this team is stacked. This team is incredible. This team is brilliant, and this team is a visionary. Uh, that's why they've developed the best technology in the market to date, and that's why I firmly believe that they will continue to be the technology leader in the electric vehicle space for the foreseeable future. The kind of third ancillary reason here that I really like Lucid has to do with their support. So as you know, talent is very important, but talent is attracted by vision and by money. Uh, wherever talent can get the most money, can get the highest salary, can have the highest upside, that's where talent is gonna go. Lucid has the backing of the largest investment fund in the world, the Middle East, this is the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. Mm -hmm. They tried to take out Tesla at $420 a share way back, I believe it was in 2018, 2019. I don't know if you remember the infamous uh, Elon Musk tweet where Elon's, you know, 420 getting taken out of 420. It was an, <laughs> an ode to, to marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, that, that takeover didn't work out. So the Saudis pivot, pivoted and said, okay, if we're not going to get Tesla, let's pick another horse in the EV race. The horse they picked was Lucid. Mm -hmm. So Lucid essentially has infinite cash. Okay. Um, I know we can say they got X billion dollars on their balance sheet. That's important. But the reality is they have infinite cash because mm -hmm. the Saudis own an incredible chunk of Lucid stock, of Lucid company. And as a result of that, they're not going to let that ship sink. This is their horse in the EV race. They have unlimited financial backing. Uh, mm -hmm. That cannot be stressed enough. That is so important because that will allow them to continue to attract talent which will allow them to continue to build upon their already established EV technology market leadership. It will also allow them to invest and invest and invest and grow and grow and grow without mm -hmm. having to worry about turning a profit very quickly, without having to worry about cash burn, without having to worry about liquidity. So they're in a really good position right now to, uh, in my opinion, dominate the electric vehicle space for the next five to 10 years and unseat Tesla as the king of luxury electric vehicles globally. Mm -hmm. So you talk about, again, Lucid being the winner. And again, all those are great, you know, things for our listeners to learn about Lucid that you don't really hear about in the media. But when are we going to get a better idea as to when this, you know, leap forward to the same level of name branding that Tesla has? Uh, is it going to be, you know, their 2022 sales and deliveries? Is it going to be a little bit further down the line in 2023 with, the, with you know, the better technology as better batteries come out like we've talked about in past uh, podcasts? Right. So in 2022, they're probably going to deliver about 14,000 vehicles. Um, okay. Tesla is delivering hundreds of thousands. So yeah. Yeah. 
2022 is not the time when Lucid is going to have that name, brand, equity, recognition that, that Tesla does. But Lucid will ramp in the same way that Tesla ramped. And if you assume similar growth trajectories, and we're probably looking at Lucid can be where Tesla is today, probably in about six to seven years. Okay. So you're looking at a 2025, 2026, 2027, back after the 2020s is when Lucid will start to become a name like Tesla in the electric vehicle market, and perhaps even sooner because, and more quickly, because you have to remember Tesla ramped its operations in the 2010s at a time when electric vehicles were not mainstream, at a time when many folks doubted electric vehicles, at a time when investment in the industry was, was very um, minimal, at a time when the cars were not comparably priced to gas-powered cars, did not get comparable driving ranges, so on and so forth. The 2020s, all that's changed, completely different market, right? Way more beneficial, a lot more tailwinds for the electric vehicle space. So there is definitely a reasonable argument to be made that Lucid will ramp its operations much more quickly in the 2020s than Tesla did in the 2010s, in which case you could be looking at 2025, 2026 as a time when Lucid really comes into its own and starts delivering hundreds of thousands of vehicles, is profitable, is cash flow positive, and is a company worth potentially 100, 200, 300 billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Are there any risks to this success, to this in the next five years? Uh, of course there are. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically a startup. They mm -hmm. uh, just started delivering. They delivered their first car in late 2021. So mm -hmm. we're only a couple months off the first ever delivery of a Lucid car. So yeah, there are huge execution risks inherent to this growth narrative, and investors need to be aware of that. But those execution risks, I believe, are negated or at least partially offset by the technology, the talent, the resources, they have all the ingredients to make this work. Whether or not they actually execute and do make it work is an entirely different question, but the upside potential is so large that the risk-reward potential or the risk-reward profile in the stock at current levels, to me, is pretty compelling. It starts to get above 40, gets into the 50 range. I think it looks a little bit less compelling, but in the 20s, Lucid stock looks like an excellent, excellent investment. Mm -hmm. Well, again, on the topic of EVs and, again, some of the technologies that we're seeing, not just batteries, but also, uh, again, I think comes from one of our fan questions, which is uh, you talked about EV stocks. Uh, what's your take on EV uh, on sorry, what's your take on the year of AV stocks? Uh, again, the, uh, the concept of autonomous vehicles uh, and related right. to LiDAR technology. Yeah, so. Um Autonomous vehicles are behind electric vehicles in terms of the adoption curve, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people are driving electric vehicles. None of us are driving autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, but the autonomous vehicle revolution is progressing very nicely. And what we're seeing is step one of this revolution is actually, and it makes complete sense, is the delivery of goods, not the delivery of people. Um, okay. Domino's is delivering pizzas autonomously using little autonomous cars, autonomous robots, basically, mm -hmm. um, in Houston, Texas. 7-Eleven, I believe, is, has deployed an autonomous delivery service. Um, Kroger has deployed an autonomous delivery service. Uh, Uber Eats is looking into it. So you're starting to see Too Simple just completed a complete um, driver out autonomous trucking test in, in Phoenix, Arizona. So. You're seeing successful deployment of autonomous vehicle technology is, as it relates to the delivery of goods. And that makes sense because if there's a mistake in the delivery of people, 
uh, in an autonomous vehicle you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, the potential loss of life. Um, mm-hmm. When you're looking at a mistake in the autonomous delivery of goods, you're talking about maybe somebody loses a $200 grocery order. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's replaceable. Uh, the cost there is not very large. And so that's why this revolution is starting with the uh, transportation of goods. And we're seeing that across the United States. We're also seeing expansion into the delivery of people. Uh, Waymo has a uh, autonomous ride-sharing service in Phoenix. It's been running for a while. They just expanded that into San Francisco. Uh, Throughout cities in China, there are autonomous ride-sharing services as well. These Mm -hmm. services are all in beta mode, uh, mostly invite-only, not widespread. But the fact that they are doing it, the Mm. fact that this is a real thing that's happening, just goes to show that... We are very near the inflection point uh, with autonomous vehicle technology to the point where AVs are very near to becoming where EVs were two or three years ago. Um, you know, mm-hmm. electric vehicles really shot into the scene 2019, 2020. That's really when EVs started to you know, have their, their hockey stick growth. It mm-hmm. feels like that 2019, 2020 moment for autonomous vehicles is probably in the 2023, 2024 range. It sort of feels mm-hmm. like that's when you could really start to see interest in these uh, companies, the prices of these stocks, and the usage of this technology really kind of explode higher. So that's where my timeline is for the autonomous vehicle market. So uh, I know that uh, we've talked about the technology behind um, autonomous vehicles, uh, primarily being LiDAR. Uh, Can you explain a little bit about what that is? And then also, are there other technologies that we should be looking at when it comes to autonomous vehicles? Yeah, so this is a uh, a real hot topic in the field of autonomous vehicles. Um, There are basically three ways you can get base, uh, big assumption here. Um, The way to get a autonomous car to work, the way Mm -hmm. to get a car to drive itself effectively and in all situations, is to give the car a human-like ability to see and sense its surroundings. Because if it can do that, then it can react to those surroundings and drive itself in any situation. So there are three ways that you can do that. Um, One is through vision. That's Mm -hmm. a camera. You can put cameras on the car. And the car can use that that camera. The camera looks out, fetches computer vision data, feeds it back into the system. Now it can see. Um, The other way, or another way, is LiDAR, which you just talked about, which is essentially light. Uh, What this does is it beams in a 360-degree fashion lasers out all over the place. And then normally, uh, this is not how all LiDAR works, but the most common time-of-flight LiDAR is that it beams the laser out, the laser hits an object, and it comes Mm -hmm. back to the sensor. The sensor measures the time of that flight to determine how far away that object is. And if you do it with enough granularity, you can then also build the shape of the object and you can create a essentially a 3D replication of the surrounding environment of the car. So that's mm-hmm. LiDAR. And then the third is radar, which is just sound. You know, we've heard of radar in submarines. We've heard of radar in other um, transportation devices before. So that's not really a new technology. Um, there is no real clear understanding of what the best way to get the car to see is. Tesla mm-hmm. is using a vision-only approach. They're just using cameras. Okay. Uh, some are using LiDAR only. Some are using all three together. 
I'm of the personal opinion and of the engineers I've talked to in this space and of some of the, the largest uh, minds in this space, the, uh, the biggest people in this space, mostly believe that the future of autonomous vehicle technology includes the full stack. So okay. it includes radar, it includes LIDAR, and it includes camera. And that's because the camera, while good, uh, they're low resolution. The human eye has incredibly high resolution, and it's like a hundred times that of a camera you're going to stick on a car. So if you really want to replicate the vision of a human on a car, you're mm -hmm. going to have to slap a hundred or so cameras on there. And that's mm -hmm. just unfeasible because you're just basically putting cameras everywhere. It's going to be bulky. It's going to be super expensive, not economic. So camera has limitations. Um, LiDAR can fix some of those limitations. Not all of them. Radar can fix some of those limitations. Not all of them. But when put together, the full stack is what's going to allow the, the car enough redundancy to mm -hmm. create a safe, autonomous driving environment. So I'm of the belief that all three are super necessary. Cameras, there's not much differentiation that can happen there because a camera is a freaking camera. Mm -hmm. And everybody makes them. Mm -hmm. Radar, very old technology, somewhat commoditized, not very expensive, not high margin. LIDAR is where the investment potential is because LIDAR is a very complex technology. LIDAR is a very expensive technology. And only very few companies globally have figured out how to cost-effectively manufacture good enough LiDAR to work on cars. Those mm -hmm. companies will be able to monopolize the market, sell a lot of that, a lot of those LiDAR sensors at very high margins and create huge profits. So in my opinion, the best way to play the autonomous vehicle revolution is either to A, buy the autonomous vehicle software companies, which you haven't really talked about, mm -hmm. or yeah. B, by the, the LiDAR suppliers. And so that's where a name like Luminar comes in. I think Luminar is, is a really strong player in this space. Mm -hmm. And there are some other smaller companies out there, I'm not gonna say their names on this podcast, but that are also very interesting plays on the, the LiDAR revolution. But I believe that Luminar is probably the, the best in breed option uh, for LiDAR. And by extension, one of the best plays on autonomous vehicles anywhere. Aside from, from the investment potential, the adoption of autonomous vehicles uh, moving forward, you, you know, we talk about that the, the, when a technology is new, it costs a lot because it's new. Not a lot of people know how to make it. The Luminar, to your point, is the, one of the better companies that are doing it. Uh, what is, when is, are we going to start seeing those costs start to decrease and uh, fall to where this adoption can start uh, happening a lot more um, frequently? Are you talking about LiDAR specifically? Yeah, LiDAR, yeah. So uh, the cost decline curve there is, is very, very large. Uh, the cost had plummeted significantly. LiDAR back in the day that was made by Velodyne, which was kind of like the godfather of LiDAR, mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago, less than 10 years ago, was fetching like $75,000 a laser um, mm -hmm. or a system, a sensor. Okay. Today, Luminar can integrate its uh, LiDAR onto an automotive vehicle for less than $1,000. So mm -hmm. we've gone from 75K to 1,000 uh, within the span of less than 10 years. So mm -hmm. the cost of client curve there is, is very impressive. And among the folks I talk to, getting that number down to 500, 400, 300, 200 is entirely possible and plausible within the next few years. Mm 
Mm -hmm. That cost decline curve, of course, is going to spur adoption of LiDAR because the big thing is if I'm selling a $40,000 vehicle, I can't add a $75,000 laser mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I can add a $1,000 laser. And okay. I definitely can add a $500 laser or a $200 laser. And you have mm -hmm. to remember that uh, there is no number of LiDAR sensors that a car would need to be truly safe in an autonomous vehicle environment. But... I think that perhaps the best number is around three or four. Mm -hmm. So you're going to want to see a car have three or four LiDAR sensors on it. Okay. That means that if it's a thousand bucks today, that's an additional three or four thousand dollars on a forty thousand dollar car. That's a ten percent uh, increase on the input cost, or because the input costs are probably like thirty, it's greater than a ten percent um, uh, bump in the input cost. So mm -hmm. that's not entirely feasible. You put that number down to two hundred or three hundred. Now all of a sudden you're talking about six hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars in total to integrate all the lidar into the car. Mm -hmm. That's a much smaller uptake in cost. So as this, these, the cost decline curve continues, as these costs continue to plummet, that's going to help spur adoption. We actually already are seeing LiDAR being integrated into some high-end vehicles. Lucid, we just talked about them. One of the mm -hmm. reasons I like them is I think they are doing everything right on the autonomous vehicle front. One of the things they're doing right is integrating LiDAR. Their cars are partially self-driving, and they are equipped with LiDAR. They are the first cars in North America to be delivered to consumers that have automotive LiDAR on them. So you mm -hmm. are seeing LiDAR coming to market. Volvo is rolling out LiDAR, uh, Luminar LiDAR, uh, in mm -hmm. some of their higher-end vehicles this year as well. So you're going to start seeing LiDAR come to market in 2022. Um, another note here is that Too Simple, we talked about them earlier, they're an autonomous trucking company. Mm -hmm. They just completed a super, super impressive, super, super rare, never, never been done before test in Phoenix, Arizona, where they had a truck. They took the driver out. They put their self-driving system in it, and the truck, without anybody in it, drove we're talking about a class eight truck here mm -hmm. drove itself 80 miles on highways on surface streets stoplights with traffic made turns pedestrians did all that stuff without any incidents um, and now they've done about i think it's like eight or nine test drives since then with mm -hmm. that that company that is doing that too simple very impressive what's the what's the core tech there it's LiDAR, made specifically <laughs> by a company called Ava. So okay. pretty much all of the successful self-driving stories you've heard of mm -hmm. are powered by LiDAR. Um, so you are seeing it in market. Okay. That's why 2022 is going to be this sort of like introductory year for mm -hmm. LiDAR. And then 2023, I believe, is the, the blowout year. The year gotcha. when all of a sudden a lot more things start to have LiDAR. 2024, I think it goes mainstream. So that's why I said, when you asked me earlier what my timeline is here, 23, yeah. 24 is when I think this market really starts to hockey stick. 22 okay. is a great time to get in it then as mm -hmm. the market gets introduced to these technologies, starts to get comfortable with them in the real world. And that's when you're gonna start to see some slow and gradual price appreciation before the hockey stick growth in 23, 24. Get in early so you don't miss the hockey stick. That's my two cents. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking about shifting gears a little bit and speaking of things to kind of get in early on, uh, cannabis has kind of been trending in the news. And I know that we've talked, uh, uh, not on this podcast, but uh, you've, you've talked about cannabis before. Um, right. There's been, the bill has been introduced to legalize it uh, federally. Um, so, and, it, and the way that people talk about it at this point, it does kind of seem inevitable. Is this a time to get into cannabis stocks? 
What's my answer, Aaron? Do you know my answer? I kind of do, but I was le- trying to lead you into that answer, but I, I don't. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes, Aaron yeah. and I, for, for, for the listeners, uh, the context yes. here is Aaron and I have talked about pot stocks yeah. before, cannabis mm-hmm. stocks, marijuana stocks, call them what you yep. want. And he knows that I am not, N-O-T, not a fan. Yeah. Um, the thing about the cannabis industry is, and I used to be a fan, because it seems mm-hmm. like it would fit into my wheelhouse of new technology, new industry, hyper-growth potential, mm-hmm. emerging companies very early. Like It seems to fit into my investment wheelhouse, my yeah. style of stock picking. But the critical, one of the critical elements of my style of stock picking is that the companies need to be able to make Profits. If the company mm-hmm. will never make sizable profits at scale, then mm-hmm. I have no interest in investing in the company. Yeah. And when it comes to cannabis across the industry, I don't think these companies have a good shot at making big profits ever. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that weed is freaking weed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is cannabis. Marijuana is marijuana. Yes, there are different strains. People who smoke it all the time will tell you differently. They're saying they're going to tell you right now that I'm completely wrong. Mm-hmm. But even for those people, you have your favorite weed, and it's the mm-hmm. weed that you've been buying for five years, six years, seven years from your local dealer down the street. You're mm-hmm. not going to change because Canopy Growth or Tilray or Kronos rolls in with some nice brand. Ah, eh, screw that. You know, mm-hmm. I, have, I have my favorite local weed supply. That's what it is. So there's a huge problem with product commoditization across the entire cannabis industry mm-hmm. because weed is weed. And for those who weed isn't weed, you already have your favorites and you're not going to change your brand loyalty there. So mm-hmm. I was initially of the opinion that when the cannabis industry boomed, we were going to have like the Coca-Cola of weed emerge, yeah. the Pepsi of mm-hmm. weed emerge, the Marlboro of weed emerge. Now, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think mm-hmm. what the weed industry is going to look like at scale is thousands of tiny little brands. And maybe somebody one day consolidates all of them at that point in time, then I'd be interested. But in the absence of that consolidation, you're going to have a hyper-competitive market with a lot mm-hmm. of product commoditization. And that means really low profit margins on what you're selling. And you're seeing that in these companies right now. All these Canadian uh, cannabis stocks, the, the uh, Canopy Gross, the Kronoses, the Tilrays, uh, mm-hmm. the Aurora Cannabises, those companies have seen their revenues grow steadily and mm-hmm. their margins drop steadily and their mm-hmm. losses widen. Those are poor financials. I want to see a company whose revenues are rising and its gross profit margins are rising. And while that company may be losing money, I don't care about that. I want to see its margin profile improve. I'm not seeing margin profile improvements across the cannabis sector. And I've been watching that sector for four years now, ever since they really hopped onto the scene in 2018 with the legalization of weed in Canada. So because of that, I have turned bearish on the industry, and I don't think that there is enormous profit production potential um, in the long run in cannabis. Again, the the caveat here is that there could be industry consolidation. Mm-hmm. A canopy growth or somebody could get equipped with a lot of cash and come in and just acquire, 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 and through mm-hmm. M&A become the Coca-Cola of cannabis. But mm-hmm. Nobody has that much firepower on the balance sheet right now to do just that. The company that did have that firepower, Canopy Growth, has completely shifted its growth strategy from 
spend to grow, spend to grow, spend to grow, to let's right size the business, let's become more profitable. So they're not thinking consolidation. I don't think that until that consolidator comes around, the cannabis industry is investable. And for that reason, I am not involved with, invested in, or recommending any pot stocks at the current moment. So if not pot, then, and again, I know your answer before you, uh, before I asked the question, but if not pot, then is there another uh, sector that you're looking at that might be a better uh, investment strategy? Right. So yeah, obviously, you know, my answer was, that was a great, a great lead, a good alley oop, <laughs> uh, if you will. Uh, psychedelics is a space that I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. That is much more investable because in that industry, you don't have commoditization and instead you have massive massive competitive mode. So for the viewers out there, psychedelics, yes, I'm talking about uh, MDMA, mm-hmm. LSD, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, ketamine. I'm talking about those drugs that a lot of you be like, what, are you serious? But mm-hmm. I am serious because yeah. there is prolific academic research out there from some of the top institutions in the country, in the world, that beyond a reasonable doubt, scientifically prove that psychedelics have immense therapeutic potential, specifically as it relates to mental health diseases, ADHD, depression, uh, those type addiction, those types of illnesses can be very effectively treated by psychedelic-inspired medicines. So Mm -hmm. the industry I'm talking about is the emergence of a new class of medicines, psychedelic-inspired medicines, to more Mm -hmm. effectively treat the mental health illness market globally. That is an industry I'm very excited about because the data bears out that it's going to be very large because the medicines work, and the companies inside of it are developing massive competitive moats. These drugs have to go through clinical trial after clinical trial after after clinical trial. Mm-hmm. They have to pass all of them. I mean, there is no greater competitive moat in capitalism than in biotechnology after you get a drug passed through all those clinical trials, FDA approved and in market. Mm-hmm. There is no greater competitive moat than that. So in that sense, the psychedelics market cannot be more different than the cannabis market. Cannabis companies will be lucky at scale to get 20% gross margins. Psychedelic companies at scale will get 50%, 60%, 70% gross margins, if not higher. So I'm really liking what I'm starting to see in the psychedelics market and all of the interest that I formerly had in cannabis has shifted Mm -hmm. to psychedelics. Really like a few stocks in that space. The leader is a company called Compass Pathways, the ticker CMPS. It's been Mm -hmm. beaten down because of the long duration route starting to come back. Mm -hmm. They have a drug called Comp360 that's psilocybin inspired, the magic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I think that drug is gonna change the world. So I really like Compass Pathway stock as a long-term buy and hold, love the psychedelics industry, great place to be invested. All right, Luke. Well, I know that you uh, are about to get started on uh, a shoot that you got to do. Uh, I do want to do one quick, uh, I think I'm going to skip over our market check-in for this week. Uh, okay. not, a, not a whole lot of developments going on there. Uh, and I think whatever happens in the next two weeks, we can cover next week when we have more time. But the for one sure. thing I do want to talk about real quick is uh, the false Bitcoin breakout. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, sure. Um, so Bitcoin was shaping this pennant pattern. It was coiling. The trading action was coiling. Um, it broke out of that in a bullish style 
we expected that breakout to take it to 50,000 and up. Um, it didn't, it took it to like 47, 48. There was a lot of selling pressure there, just there's distribution. And then it kind of came back down, looked like a false breakout. Now it's kind of doing the same consolidation, the pennant. So we might be due for another breakout here, but I think mm -hmm. the reality is that um, I thought the breakout was gonna be bigger. The fact okay. that it wasn't kind of scared me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the rally, the rally in equities that we're seeing, the risk on rally in equities, the tech driven rally in equities, the growth driven rally in equities mm -hmm. makes me bullish on Bitcoin not breaking down. Um, we might okay. have had a false breakout, mm -hmm. but the risk sentiments appear to be materially improving. And if that's true, then Bitcoin should continue to grind higher. It may not be this rocket ship that I was previously expecting. But I do think we kind of step ladder higher here. And in step laddering higher, we're going to see a melt up in altcoins. We just went out and bought a handful of altcoins a few weeks back before this big breakout we thought was mm -hmm. going to emerge. And we're still hanging on to those because well, we like them long term. But also, I believe the short term trading action is going to continue to improve. Um, and again, while it won't be this kind of snap of the finger, rip the bandaid off, we're off to the moon, I think it's going to be a step ladder. Boom. Boom. Boom, and we're going to grind higher into the summer. So I'm um, positive on that. I like what we own, and, and I'm ready for, for higher prices there. Can you talk just uh, one last point with uh, crypto, uh, how Bridgewater launching its first crypto fund, how that plays into uh, Bitcoin and crypto as a whole? Yeah, so Bridgewater is, is considering launching its, its first crypto fund. Um, we're seeing a lot of VCs raise, continue more and more money in the space. Um, smart money is getting into cryptos, and that's just something you cannot ignore, something mm -hmm. you must acknowledge. So if you're selling, think to yourself, I'm selling to some of the smartest investors in the world mm -hmm. because those are the folks that are accumulating. Um, mm -hmm. I like to position myself with the smartest investors in the world, with the biggest and deepest pockets in the world. So I'm not going to be selling to them. Um, <laughs> and instead, I'm going to be buying with them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how that plays into this whole thing. You just have to remember that the selling pressure is not the quote unquote smartest people in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, those people are actively getting into crypto at the current moment and or considering getting into crypto and or raising funds to get into crypto. So mm -hmm. The smart money here is is making moves into cryptocurrencies. All right, Luke. Well, I know that you have a lot, a huge schedule today. I don't want to hold on to you any longer. I know this was a shorter podcast, uh, but I think, again, our listeners got a ton of information in a very short amount of time. Um, so do you have any last words to our listeners before we wrap? Uh, no, Aaron. I hope that it's it's sunny and warm down there in Florida. <laughs> it is it is not sunny and warm up here in Baltimore, <laughs> so I hope one of us is at least in the sunshine right now. I, well, I appreciate it. Coming from you, that means a lot. Uh, well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, we'd love to hear them in our comments section. Uh, we love your feedback, and uh, we want to hear the topics that you want us, uh, on, want us to cover, and again, to see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Uh, until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will definitely see you next week. Bye, all.